Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. Best five minutes of your life, you're welcome, Cody, for that. All right. Um, so before we get into the world's greatest message of all time, I actually thought about, like, as we were uh, singing and I was watching, um, I haven't said this for a while, like, there is a, a purpose behind uh, why we do what we do. Like, um, I've talked to a couple people, uh, especially some people who watch online every week, I'm like, should we, like, get a better production? Like, we have a, we have two cameras because there's a deal on cameras. That's why we, we would have just had one. And for the longest time, we just used uh, my iPhone. And every single person, one of them's like in d- video producing like professionally, and they're like, no, please. Like, we love the idea of the, they tried saying it in a nice way, but the, the low quality, we really, really appreciate. Um, and what they said is it just feels authentic. It's one thing I really love about this church. Like, we worked, we, not just like me, we worked really hard at creating a space of where people can be um, honest and vulnerable and um, come to church whenever they want. Like Mike just goes, yeah, I'm a sustaining member. I've come once in the past two years. It's not true. Twice in two years. So, uh, <laughs> But I love that we have a place of where when you feel like you want to connect, you can. And even the way that we worship, like people can stand if they want. People can close their eyes if they want. People can like take in the music if they want. People can get coffee if they want. We actively celebrate people just moving in the rhythms that they feel the most comfortable and the most um, life in. And so I thought uh, I would just um, I would share that again. So today we are wrapping up our series. I know, Cody, you're going to be okay. This is our last time talking about witness. Um, and next week we start our Advent series, which is going to be, um, it's going to be great. And remember, Advent, the reason we do it is the Christian church has been doing it for a very, very long time. And Advent's this, the, the season between this last, like, um, prophecy, we'll use that word, right, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, talking about this new life, this new way of being human. And there's 400 years between that, like, dream and when Jesus was born, that reality. So it's all, like, celebrating the darkness, celebrating the, the waiting, celebrating the slowing things down, dreaming of what um, is to be. It's beautiful. But today, we are um, talking on something called legions. And usually, to start my message, I give some really highbrow intellectual jokes, and you guys all, oh, Chris, we love you so much. Or I tell some emotional story, we're all crying together, and you know, snots everywhere. But today, we're going to go right into the Bible, which I love to say, because uh, I do often, people say, like, you're not even a biblical church. Or I'm like, well, today we are, because I'm reading 20 verses. So, because of the amount we're reading, I thought we'd just jump into it. Um, and I, I feel like I say this every week, but this is probably one of my most favorite um, biblical stories uh, that really shaped me, especially when I was younger. So here we go. We're reading out of Mark chapter 5, starting verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of Genesis. When they got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. 
No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the, and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, do not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you are an impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, Well, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again to not send them out of the area. Other translations say, send us into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake where they drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. When they, came to see, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Um, I read a story about this pastor who pastored for like 50 years. He said, The three most questions I get is, Is there really life after death? Can I really believe in God? And what is it about those pigs, right? <laughs> because it's a, weird, it's a weird story. And there's lots of different ways of engaging with the Bible or reading the Bible. Like the most common way is um, what I call like a quick read. You hear the story and you share your, or you don't have to share, but you have like um, your, your own feeling. Maybe you felt like it was boring or maybe you felt like it was inspiring. Maybe you thought it was funny. Maybe you thought it, like, uh, it moved you some way. And then the question is, well, why did I find it funny? Or why was it boring? What was I hoping to experience? Or um, why did that word or that, that part of the story move me so much? And then you can have this, like, small little takeaway. This is what traditionally people call, like, um, having um, devotions. You read a Bible, you meditate on it, you process it, and you have some takeaway. And some people, um, when I in, uh, talk with about the Bible, they're like, yeah, Chris, but I'm not, like, some biblical scholar, so I really don't have, like, an interpretation which is, like, not true at all. We all have interpretations, right? An interpretation is you hear something and you make meaning of it, right? You have interpretation of when you watch the Golden Gophers, the greatest football team on earth, make a big victory yesterday against the hated Badgers. We interpret them that this is heaven on earth, right? That's how it works. So um, an interpretation is just, like, what you are processing. It's not bad, right? But you have to remember, everything you're reading is also an interpretation. Like, um, there's a... a um, uh, what do you call that? A translation of the Bible called the ESV, right? Um, it's a very common one. And there was a group of 12 older white men that interpreted all those writings in Greek, in Hebrew, in Aramaic. Like, they had, like, well, we think this is what it means. Well, imagine if it's just one group of people, they might have some bias that might be built in, and therefore they're going to have an interpretation. And this is why we have a ton of different translations of the Bible that have varying experiences and variant, uh, variant um, translations because when you enter into the text of any text, you are bringing stuff with you, and that's not inherently bad. But even go back, the people who wrote the Bible, the Hebrew Bible in these stories, 
We don't have any of the original manuscripts, like not one, right? And they're doing interpretation of what they're seeing and what they're taking in with their own bias and the way they view God, the way they view science, the way they view body, the way they view earth, economics. All of that is shaping um, how they're telling that story. And I say that because this. Another way to read the Bible or interpret the Bible is through the land, right? Of focusing of in that specific area, on that dirt, on that soil, what's happening there and what's happening around them. Because this land that um, Jesus is on with this person is filled with tension. Not just then, but now. It's part of Israel, and they got this part of land from um, the Syrians in the late 60s, right? Um, and that's a whole other story. Um, but this is still where the Palestinian and Jewish conflict is happening. And I don't know if you've watched the news in the last 30 years, right? There is a lot of not just tension, but a lot of violence, right? People are um, waking up with not knowing what's going to happen. And this has been happening in this area for a long time. And if you've, um, I've never been to Israel, but from what I've read and what I've studied, um, it's very, very, um, it's not as expansive and big as you might think. And this one reason that this land is so valuable, especially right around this part, is a long time ago, you have the, the sea, you have the shore, then they call like the mountains, which are kind of like rolling hills. But then there's pockets of where the soil and the land is incredibly fertile, where you could like grow a lot of food. And in biblical times, if you had your family, you would have to grow food for your family, maybe your parents, your grandparents. Uh, but if you have a kingdom and the kingdom can provide food for everyone, then you are free to work for that kingdom. So you can have entire armies. This is why, it's a big reason why so many different kingdoms are coming through this land because of the territory where it's located and the actual land itself. So in the Hebrew Bible, there's people coming and kingdoms coming and swapping hands over and over because this land has value. Now, imagine if you are um, in the synagogue and you are... Um, hearing about this beautiful, beautiful story of God, right? And you're reading from the Hebrew Bible, and you hear Roman soldiers just right outside the synagogue. There could be some tension. Why? Here's a little Bible lesson. How did the Bible come to be? 500, 350 B.C., um, the Hebrew people um, were um, enslaved or occupied by the Babylonians, right? They tear down the temple, and they take a bunch of people, of Hebrew people with them, back to Babylon. And then they're in Babylon for generations. And then all of a sudden, another group of people said, hey, we want that. So they come and conquer the Babylonians, and they tell the Hebrew people they can go back to their land. As they're getting back, the priests begin to um, take all these different stories, oral traditions, writing down things they've already had and compiling together in one thing called the Hebrew Bible. Which is fascinating because these priests are retelling a story, right? You, you can see through different documents that the story changes and evolves. Why? Because they're continually trying to tell a better story. For example, um, in Genesis 1 and 2, it tells the creation, right, through the Hebrew people's lens. And it's two different creation stories, if you didn't know that. Genesis 1 Genesis 2 tell a very similar story, but with some distinct differences. Why? Exactly. Because the Babylonians had their own creation story. And I should remember what it is. The Enuma Elish, right? Which predates anything that we have from the, he I love this, from the Hebrew Bible, right? By a long shot. And they tell a similar story that the Israelites would have known. They would have heard it. And it's a story I'll make way too simple, right? 
let's say that it's these two gods, we'll just say like their husband and wife, right? And they have kids, and they, so they're gods. And the gods um, are getting frustrated because these gods are having to do work, and they don't want to have to do the work. They'd rather just be the gods. So they're like, hey, let's create some people out of the ground, so out of the dust, out of the clay. They create humans, and humans there are to serve, right, just for the needs to do the work that the gods don't want to do so the gods can just do whatever gods do. Well, then there's some tension. Now there's, like, these, like, nine different serpents and dragons, and they're fighting. And essentially how they solve it is the husband god, big god, rips the female god in half and creates the heavens and creates the grounds, right? So this story is filled with tension, violence. Humans are just there to serve the needs of the god. And so what do the Hebrew people do? They tell a very similar story. But when God creates things, he creates, separates the heavens and the earth, right? Out of the abyss, the heaven and the earth, he says it's good. When he uh, separates the land from the water, he says it's good. When he creates humans, he says it's good. And they, they tell the story of creating humans not just to serve the gods, but for God to be with them and for them to be with God, for humans to be with humans, and for humans to be with the earth. All of it is deeply, deeply connected, and all of it, it's said that it's good. You can see that the Israelites are trying to take a story that the people knew and lived with and are retelling a more beautiful, more liberating, more free story. And for any biblical nerds out there, in, um, uh, in the book of Genesis, there's four different groups of people that are all making additions and adding, and the priests get to add the last bit, which brings out this more robust, more freeing message of God. So why does that matter? If this is how you view God, and you've heard stories from your grandpa, from your great-grandpa, and you're reading the Torah in, in um, synagogues, you're singing songs, and you're processing these things. You see stories of how they uh, were oppressed, but how they were free, right? And they have these great, amazing things and these horrible atrocities, but they still come out as a people and with this promise that God told Abram that I'm going to use you to reveal to the whole world, to show the whole world of what it means to be human. There's a new way of engaging with God, there's a new story about engaging with one another, right? That is like their promise through and through. And you're hearing that story again, and you can hear Roman soldiers outside mocking your friend. Like, in Rome, this land, they are occupied by Rome. They have this, um, they have a King Herod dies in 4 BC, and his land goes split up to all these different areas. And the one that oversaw this land is very, very, not just corrupt, but incredibly violent, Right? And they're working with Rome. Everywhere they go, the threat of violence, the threat of loss of life, the threat of that they can do whatever they want to them is a lived reality. So at this specific time, there's a story named, uh, um, I just blanked on it, Josephus. And in this land, there was an uprising. There's a group of people who began just to simply whisper and talk amongst themselves, saying, hey, what if... We could just be, I don't know, have agency over our own bodies. Hey, what if we didn't have to be oppressed by these groups? What if we could, like, tell our own stories? What if we could, like, you know, open our own business our own way? What if we didn't have to be under this rule? Rome gets wind of this, and they send a legion, right? A legion is a lot, a lot of soldiers. And Roman soldiers come in. They murder a 1,000 men. They take their families and put them in captivity, and they burn the place to the ground right? Now this reshapes reading the story. 
Because originally I read this story. I'm like, hey, there's this crazy guy running around the woods. <laughs> Nikki and I laughing about it, right? Like some guy in the woods like, whoa, I'm crazy. Look at me, right? Now, this man is in the tombs, sleeping in the tombs. More than likely, it's not hard to imagine that this is where his family is. It's not hard to imagine that this has been his friends who were murdered. Why is he living in the wilderness? Maybe because his whole town got burnt down. Now this man is a living example of what oppression does. He is a living testament of any time you, you like rank humans and say these are the most important, these are the beautiful people, and these are the people that we can just dispose of. He is a testament of when you strip humanity from someone, he's saying, this is my life. And when Jesus asks him what's his name, his name is, do you remember what his name was? Legion, right? So there's, there's multiple ways of reading this. And this is fascinating to me. Some people like to focus on, oh, that's just the name of the demon, right? And that's fine. Of like, there's many of us. I read several other scholars are saying, maybe Mark is trying to tell a bigger story. He's saying, who am I? He goes, all I am is what's been done to this land. The only thing that I am, what is my label, what is my identity, is what's been done to us. And this is all I'll ever be. He says, this is all I can be, which I find so interesting. And I I spent some time um, thinking about this. It is so easy for me, and I imagine there's a, a couple of us here, that when we think about who we really are, it can go back to all I really am is the worst thing I've ever done, right? Or it could be all I'll ever be is the worst things that have ever been done to me, right? And we just, we just carry that identity. We, like, brand it on ourselves and say, well, I'm just always going to be a loser. I'm always just going to be uh, whatever that coach told you in junior high. All I'm ever going to be is what my parents told me or didn't tell me, right? And it's, it's, so, it's so easy to live there. Like, it's like I can walk around and function, and maybe others as well. I wasn't planning on sharing this part. <laughs> but we can walk around. I can walk around and engage Stephanie. I can engage with Valdez, and I can go to parties. I can go to work functions. I can go to a uh, football banquet tonight. I can do all those things and do really good. But, like, the unhealthy side of me, the insecure side of me, still is waiting for someone to, like, pull the curtain back and say, Ha! Ah, we knew it, Sodder. You're just a loser. Hey, guys, do you guys all see who he really, really is? Why are we friends with him? Why do we? He's not a real pastor. It's like I'm just doing smoke machines everywhere. Like, hey, I'm trying to trick everyone. Don't look behind the curtain. It's so easy for me to fall into that saying, this is all I'll ever be, which is not true. But how many of us, this is our lived experience. This is what we do. Because what does Jesus see? Jesus doesn't see just a man, the legion, just a man of the, the product of what the empire made him. Jesus sees a better story. Jesus sees a story that's always been true that this person couldn't see. Because what does he do, right? He sends the, the impure spirits into the pigs, which let's just talk about the pigs for a second, right? Um, <laughs> you're like, yes, please talk about the pigs. Is that these, this demon, right, or demons, um, the, the way in the ancient um, stories, it's a very predictable way they talk about demons. There's, it's, like, it's like a five-step process. But this one's different because all of a sudden the demons begin to initiate. They begin to activate. And they say, hey, Jesus, 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 uh, son of the most high God, which would be very Zeus-like. It's like a very warrior God. So they're like trying to appeal to Jesus. I mean, do you know anything about Jesus? Jesus is like, I don't play that game. But the demons do. 
And they say, hey, why don't you just send us into the pigs, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. And one person I read said they're trying to dupe Jesus, and by duping Jesus, they get duped because they want to stay in the land. They want to stay with the pigs because they're saying, well, this is going to be your story for a lot more. You're not done with us bringing violence to this land, right? And so they're like, let us stay here. You have to be with the pigs. And so they get in the pigs, and what do the pigs do? They run off into the sea. And this would have been when, if, when people would come to take the land captive by um, boats. It's at this land of where they would have come to breach the land, which is another metaphor. But what does Jesus do? Outside of just sending the pigs out, Jesus reminds this person who he's always been. And my favorite, absolute favorite part of the story, and this is when I read in my early 20s, I started thinking about the guy sees Jesus come off the boat and he runs. Why does he run? Does, is it the demon? Because it seems like in this story, the impure spirit or the demon is kind of like driving the conversation. Is it the man or the demon? Is it the demon that makes the man run towards Jesus? That seems kind of unlikely. So then, one way to think about it is that this man sees Jesus and gets clear, something in his faculties he gets that demands he runs towards Jesus. Does he know Jesus? We don't know. Does he know the stories of Jesus? We have no idea. But at that moment, that man witnessed something that demanded he run, which I love. Because my in the last 10 years, my life um, as a Christian and theology and thinking about God, a lot has moved and ebbed and evolved, which I love. But the thing that has never changed for me is this idea of the cosmic Christ, the idea Jesus isn't standing right there. Just <laughs> That's what I think, right? The idea of, of, of seeing Jesus the Jesus narrative still compels that I run towards it. There's something about the mystery. There's something about the nuance. There's something about the divine love and the radical inclusion that's still in my spirit. I can't explain it. still compels that I move towards Jesus, and I love that. And that's why I'm still, honestly, it's why I'm still a pastor, not even just a Christian. It's why I'm still a pastor. The Jesus story compels me to continue to move. And so how it wraps up is... The man um, is, it, it, it's fascinating because all of a sudden he's like naked and like cutting himself with stones and screaming in the woods. And then um, he sees Jesus and people are starting to come back around, right? Which again, you have to remember, these are a group of people who have been traumatized. So now they hear a story about like their wealth, their investment, their food, their pigs. Now we're all gone. I imagine that could be a tr- strike a traumatic response of some sort. And this is why they are angry, Right? So they come over and they find the person who's responsible and they see this guy and Mark put down that he is fully clothed and he's of right mind. There is a clear transformation. And so the guy goes, hey, let me go with you, Jesus, which is the most obvious answer, right? If you were naked and running in the woods and all of a sudden you get some transformation through a person, you're going to be like, I'm going to party with you from now on. And Jesus says, I'm going to have you stay back. And I want you to, and Jesus says, tell the people of the grace, tell the people what I've done. Another way of reading that, right, is saying, go tell the people who are all afraid and angry, go and remind them who you've always been, right? And we love these stories. Like, um, has anyone seen the movie Rudy, right, the Notre Dame player, right? It's not that good of a movie. The last five minutes makes the whole movie good, right? The rest of the movie is like, this guy can't play football, Um but he doesn't let anyone tell him that he can't play football. We love those underdog stories. We love 
um, the stories of Free Solo, where the guy's climbing, um, was it Half Dome, and does it with no ropes, right? And I'm deathly afraid of heights. And I had an Apple Watch, and my Apple Watch is saying, you're having a heart attack, you need, you need to go to the hospital. But we love that story because there's a guy, a, a person who is um, transforming, of, uh, this is all I can ever be. He's like, no, I can be something more. We love uh, books and stories and movies of people who are um, trapped in addiction, right, and then realize they can do hard things and they find a better life for themselves. And why is that inspiring? Because at some level, a lot of us maybe are reminded, maybe I could be something more. And so those stories are intoxicating because it gives us hope that we too can do hard things. And this is what Jesus is telling this guy. Go around and tell everyone and remind them that this is who I've always been, right? Empire told me I'm this, but I've always been fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's two responses, traditionally. There's one of people like, we too are fascinated. We too want to do better. Then there's the people who are saying, by you getting clear forces me to get clear, and I don't like that quickly on this. I have a friend named Kyle who's been sober for um, several years, and I, I, I asked him just recently, I'm like, hey, like, how do people respond like, when they find out you're sober? Um, he's like, you know what's odd? The, the most surprising response is people who get angry. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, people get angry, and they'll say, whoa, 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 whoa I, I only drink on the weekends. You know, I don't have a problem, right? I'm like, that is so... It's so interesting to me. He goes, he goes, and I have to tell him, like, hey, I, I didn't get sober for you. I got sober for me, right? Whatever you want to do, I'm happy for you. But there's this, there's this sense of um, by you getting sober is holding a mirror to maybe my drinking, right? By you getting clear about what's healthy for you, right, inadvertently is maybe holding a mirror of you know you're not healthy, but we are all tolerating it. Right? We are all saying this is socially okay to do this or be this or consume this, right? And when that gets exposed, you're either going to have an indifferent response. You're going to be like, wow, I want to do better and celebrate you doing better. Or you can have a response of saying, don't make me become clear of what I have to do, right? I love this. So where I end is I would be not a good biblical person to not bring up the parallel, that somehow it's, it's easy to miss this one. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is aware that he's going to die. Not, I don't think prophetically, but because this is what happens when someone speaks against power, Rome comes down and kills him. He gets off this boat. He sees a guy who's in the tombs, a guy who's naked, a guy who's bleeding, a guy who's a, a, a scapegoat, right? A guy who's rejected, a guy who's mocked, a guy who's been forgotten by people. Do I think that maybe Jesus saw himself in this? I do. Because Jesus is walking amongst the tombs, he's bleeding, he's naked, he's scapegoated, he's left behind, he's mocked, he's ridiculed, and eventually dies. Which means what? It means this. Jesus wraps up of whatever this guy thought, this is all I can be, I'm always going to be part of the legion, I'm only going to be what you've done to me. At some point, we draw lines. God doesn't draw lines, we do. And we cross that line saying, now I'm out. Lightness will never find me. I'm always in the dark. I'm always forgotten. I will never be loved. I'll never be touched. Or I'll never be included, whatever it might be. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus wraps it all up in himself and saying, all this belongs. Whatever line that you've made, whatever, thought, whatever way you thought you were expelled, through death and through new life, Jesus can reach through all the lines, through all the story, and say everything belongs. 
which Jesus tells in a story of the, the dad looking at his son. The son is angry and is, is so frustrated, and he pauses and he goes, son, everything I have is yours, and I'm with you always. So my encouragement to you, neighborhood, and to you on watching online, neighborhood, is that wherever you feel isolated, wherever you feel like you've branded yourself, there is a better story. There is a fuller story. There is a higher and wider story, and that's not just for everyone else except you. You are included, and you are loved, and everything he has is yours, and he is all with us always. Let's pray. So God, um, I thank you. Like in this story, you show up. And there's no rhyme or reason. We don't know why of all the places that boat landed, it's there. In the same way, I thank you that you show up for us. And I ask God that you would, through your spirit, prompt us to give us the wisdom, the strength, and even the notion <laughs> of being able to move towards you, to run towards you. And not out of fear of what you're going to see, not out of fear of how you're going to shame us, but we run and move towards you because we know there's new life. So I pray for my friends, including myself, who feel like we have that curtain, we're trying to keep that curtain closed so no one can see the real us. And that we can open that curtain and be found with love and inclusion, acceptance and beauty. No shame. That we can be celebrated for who we are. And we can continue to grow in who we are. And I also pray, God, that you help us do that as well. That we can live a better story, but we can also help other people and tell them that there's a better story. And I pray for my friends as Advent and Christmas is around the corner of where grief can be real, of people that we've lost either in, uh, of, of death or we've lost out of exclusion. So we love you and be with us. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, friends, for coming to the neighborhood. If you'd like to talk or pray or process, um, I'd love to do that. Have a good rest of your weekend.